Welcome to King Salman and the Stoics, a project of denverkolel.org. If you've ever had the joy of watching a child take their first step, and you saw the smile on the child's face, you saw the gleam in the parent's eye, you've touched, you've tapped into the sense of joy that a person has when they achieve, when they accomplish, when they succeed. One of the greatest things in life is to watch people succeed. And one of the most tragic things is to watch people fail. And inevitably people fail, but to watch people fail time and time again. To watch talented people who have what it takes to go so far, to do so much, to bring so much to the world, and yet to watch them fail time and time again. To watch them be tripped up by those very same personality traits, that very same character, those very same tripping points, to watch them trip on them again and again. How sad, how tragic. Why is it that some people with so much talent don't seem to go as far as you would imagine, as you would hope they can go? Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes Kohelas chapter 9, verse 11, I sat and I saw under the sun, again we know under the sun means within the reality, the perceivable reality, the natural world, the world of cause and effect, I looked under the sun, I looked within the world around me, and I saw that the race does not always go to those who are swift, and the war does not always turn in favor of the mighty. And it isn't the wise who always have bread, nor is it the discerning ones that always have wealth, that always manage to turn public opinion in their favor, that always manage to win the best deals. And not always do those who are very discerning, very wise, very deep in their understanding of others, not always do they earn the grace, the favor of other people. Not always do they make it in politics. Not always do they make it in interpersonal relationships. And you would think that they would, yet they don't. Sometimes the, the race does not go to the swift and the war does not go to the mighty. For Solomon says, there's a time, there's a happening that occurs to everyone. And Solomon's teaching us something very deep over here. The very same quality that can bring a person the most success, that can lead a person to the greatest heights, sometimes it is that very same character trait, that very same talent, that very same strength, which we term a strength, which can bring the person down, which can trip them up and bring them their downfall. It's exactly the point of a person's greatness, which can lead them to greatness and can lead them to a greatness over an entire lifetime. It's exactly that point that can sometimes so trip them up and frustrate their progress, tragically limit their ability to really succeed in life. Solomon goes on to say in verse 12, for also a person doesn't know the time like fish that get trapped in an evil trap, and like birds that get trapped in the bird trap. So too, man is trapped at the time of evil when it falls on him suddenly. And I think the key is in the last word of verse 12, that the evil falls on man suddenly. Solomon's telling us that if we would only recognize that sometimes our strengths are our greatest trap, if we would only recognize that, we wouldn't get caught so suddenly. There'd come a time where we'd realize that the problem before us doesn't need our brains. The problem before us does not need our wisdom. The problem before us does not need our people skills. 
nor does the issue in front of us need our strength, need our alacrity, need our go-getting attitude. It's not what's necessary. It's not only not necessary, but in this particular instance, it will only lead to our downfall. And if a person would only recognize it, there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place for our energy. There's a time and a place for our talents. There's a time and a place where our strengths are indeed our strengths. But then there's a time and a place to hold back. There's a time and a place where it's not our moment. It's not our moment to shine. Or perhaps it's not our moment to thrust our greatest talent and strength into the spotlight or to go for it with all of our strength. Just hang back. Now's not the time. Your time will come again. But for now, hang back. If man would understand this insight, that just because I'm good at something and just because it's worked in the past doesn't mean that it's going to work forever. Yes, if I apply it properly and wisely, as we'll see, I'll see great success. But sometimes hold back, sometimes let it go. Sometimes realize that your strength can actually be a tremendous trap. And that's what Solomon brings to us in verse 11 and verse 12. But, says Solomon, there is a time for this wisdom and there is a place for this wisdom, and it can bring a person incredible success. What's the wisdom that he's talking about? Going forward in verse 13, he says, I saw tremendous wisdom beneath the sun, and it was very great. It was I appreciated its importance greatly. Didn't Solomon just say in verse 11 that the wise don't always earn their bread, nor do the discerning ones always earn wealth, nor do those who have great personal skills and understand the intimate details of human psychology, do, nor do they always win the good graces of other people. So what is Solomon talking about in verse 13 when he praises wisdom? Let's go back to a comment of Rashi, a comment to the sages on verse 11, when it talks about those who are swift, that the race does not always go to those who are swift. The commentaries point out it's a reference to a fellow that went by the name of Ashael. Going back to the story of Solomon's father, King David, he had three strong, three mighty warriors, three generals. One was Yoav, who was his main general. Then there was Amasa and Ashael. And Avner was King Saul's general, and King Saul, as we know, chased King David and wanted to kill him. Finally, King Saul dies in battle. King David takes over the kingdom. And yet, over the course of King David's life, the rest of his life, there's one uprising after another, and there are challenges to his reign. One of these instances happened here with King Saul's son, takes over as king. Avner, King Saul's general, backs the, um, the, king, the kingship of Saul's son. And there's a face-off, there's a standoff between Avner and his men, who represent Saul's family, and King David's men led by Yoav. And Ashael, it says, was extremely swift. He was an incredibly fast runner. And he set his sights on Avner, who again was the general of the house of Saul, the opposing uh, army. And Ashael went after Avner. He chased Avner. And again, Ashael was incredibly swift. Avner runs and runs and runs, and Ashael is right on his tail. And Avner turns, this is in I believe chapter 2 of the book 2 of Samuel, Avner begs Ashel, turn away, don't continue to pursue me. I don't want to have to kill you. And Ashel keeps chasing. 
And Avner feels he has no choice. He turns around and he stabs Ashal. As Ashal is running, Ashal falls to the ground dead. So the sages point out Solomon is referencing, or at least this is a frame of reference for verse 11. It teaches us that this, the, not only does the race not always go to the swift, but sometimes it's the swiftness. It's the speed of the racer that sometimes is their own downfall. Perhaps the swiftness of the racer is what causes them to lose the race because halfway through they sprint to the point where they exhaust themselves and for the last mile they're done. Ashael got himself killed because of the great strength he had in battle which was how fast how swift he was. He should have realized this was not a place to apply my strength. In this case his greatest strength was his greatest weakness, was his greatest trap. And the same thing goes for strength. The same thing goes for wisdom. The sages point out, um, particularly your Moshe the Vadvali in his commentary, that the strong don't always win the war. Sometimes their downfall is their strength. And he says King David himself and his great general Yoav, as great and as righteous as they really were, and they were, and it's not for us to say anything negative about them. But the commentaries point out, and we, we learn the story, we know that King David tripped up, we know that Yoav tripped up on their level, they committed sins. Again, for us to grasp their greatness is impossible, but we have to read the scriptures and read the commentaries to understand their lessons for us in seeing the things that they did wrong. And Ramosha David Valley points out it was the strength of Yoav, it was the strength of David that tripped them up at times. And so Yoav, we find, killed so many in so many instances, in it was incorrect, it was unjust killings in several instances. And it was his strength that led him into those traps. It was, again, a misapplying of one's tremendous talents, of one's particular strengths, one particular set of strengths that a person is blessed with. It's the mis- misapplication of those strengths that sometimes lead to a person's downfall. And the same thing goes for wisdom. And yet, to build that question, sorry for going back, but to build the question of verse 13 that tells us there's great benefit to wisdom when Solomon has just told us that wisdom, strength, swiftness can lead to a person's greatest downfall. So what is he going back now in verse 13 to tell us? That there's a wisdom that he saw beneath the sun that was incredibly valuable to him. So let's continue verse 14. He says, There was a small city with very few men, and a great king came and surrounded it and built tremendous towers around it to go and, and commentators explain, throw these stones, and these, these projectiles into the city and to conquer the city. Came along one person who was a despised person, and yet he was, a, he was wise. It was a wise person. Maybe he was poor and impoverished. He was weak. Nobody cared much for him. He wasn't famous. Nobody listened to him. And yet, in this case, in this scenario of great challenge, this impoverished wise man came along, and he saved the city with, with his wisdom. But no one remembered that impoverished person. No one remembered them. Some of the commentaries point out that this is a reference to another story in King David's life. Jumping ahead in Book 2 of Samuel, chapter 20, chapter 19 and 20, there's a fellow called Sheba ben Bichri, and he, I think it's the final uprising attempt at the throne, pretty much, 
um, in David's lifetime, although there was one other one, but that was that was more minimal. That was not much of an uprising against King David as much as it was an attempt to grab the throne after King David's death. And that's uh, that's by Adonia, the son of King David, but that's another story. But in terms of an uprising attempting to to uh, to unseat David from the throne. The um, this is pretty much I think the last one. It's led by a fellow Sheva ben Bichri, and he runs away. And as he runs, King David is attempting to move Yoav out of the prime seat of general. Yoav has, for the most of David's career, been his primary general, and as we have discussed, his great strength sometimes was his weakness, and he killed several people unjustly, and his strength was a bit too extreme, if we can say that. David sought to replace Yoav and thereby perfect his own kingship, his own strength that came forth in battle, that came forth in the reign that he led. David sought to perfect that and lead that up a level by replacing Yoav with Amasa. And Amasa was tasked with gathering the troops to fight this uprising led by Sheva ben Bechri. However, Amasa was late in returning. And so Avishai and Yoav were sent out to do battle against Sheva ben Bechri. And here again, Yoav, with his unjust killings, kills Amasa as he goes out to chase Sheva ben Bechri. And Yoav and the men and the troops, they arrive at the city where Sheva ben Bechri was hiding. And it was a small city. Yoav came with tremendous strength and troops and started building towers. And it was a matter of time before he would destroy the city and kill all of its inhabitants. And there was a wise woman in the city. And she called out to Yoav, come here, I want to talk to you. And she said to Yoav, what are you really after? What are you really after? So he said, well, um, I'm after this fellow, Sheva ben Bechri, who's rebelling against David. And so the wise woman said to Yoav, are you really looking to kill an entire innocent city? And Yoav said, of course not. Give me this Sheva ben Bechri, and I will leave. I'll leave you in peace. And that's what happened. So here we contrast, Solomon's contrasting for us, the tremendous strength of Yoav, incredible power, the power of his men, the power of the towers that he built against this tiny little city. And yet there was one woman, this old woman who the commentaries say was incredibly, miraculously old. And she was a granddaughter of Jacob. She was Sarah. Um, the daughter of Asher, of Asher, the daughter of Asher, the granddaughter of Jacob. She was incredibly old and a very, very wise woman. But you can imagine at that age, hundreds of years old, how strong was she? And yet she stood up to Yoav and all of his men because with her wisdom, she was able to stop. And that's the key. She was able to stop. She was able to quiet the passions, the strength, the noise of war. She was able to calm that all down for a moment and say, one second, what are you really after? Oh, there's one man who has set off an uprising against King David, and it's that one person that you're after. Okay, we'll give him to you. And she saved the entire city. And this has such a lesson for us in our lives. Because again, this is this picture Solomon's painting for us. There are some people, and this happens all the time pretty much to everyone, that their greatest assets and their greatest strength sometimes lead to their greatest downfall. And even their wisdom sometimes leads to their second guessing when they don't need to second guess. Or their courage sometimes lead them 
to run into a situation that they needed to pause and take stock and take and, and be cautious about. So the greatest strength of a person sometimes is their greatest downfall, even wisdom. But then there's another type of wisdom. It's the wisdom of silence. It's the wisdom, as Solomon says in verse 15, that nobody remembers after the fact. We love to tell ourselves stories. We love to think that our success is really a result of our pushing, of our pushing forward our talent, our strength, our wisdom, our energy. But the truth is that our greatest successes often come from just listening to that quiet voice that says, well, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just not do that? That quiet voice of our conscience, that quiet voice of our soul, that quiet voice that aligns us with the will of our Creator, it's really that quiet voice when we give expression to it, when we, when we quiet things down, like Sarah, the daughter of Asher, did to Yoav, when we quiet the passions of war and we ask ourselves a simple question, what am I really after? It's only when we're able to hear that voice that we truly are able to achieve our greatest successes. It's not our strength or wisdom that leads to enduring success, but it's the ability to take stock and to stop and ask, is this a time for pushing forward or is this a time for pulling back? What really is called for here? Brute strength or just asking a simple question? That's the wisdom of Sarah, the daughter of Asher, and that's a wisdom that we need to apply in our own lives as well. And Solomon goes on to say in verse 16, I said to myself, wisdom is greater than strength. The wisdom of Serach, of this old woman, was greater than the strength of Yoav. And the wisdom of the improvised person, of this, this, this wise person that Solomon has described for us that nobody cares much about, they have no importance, no wealth, no status, this improvised wise, wise person, their wisdom is despised. And their words are not heard. We don't care enough for that quiet voice of, of true wisdom. We only care for something that's elaborate, for something that's grandiose, for something that is mighty, that makes a big splash and a lot of noise. The wisdom of the wise, the true wisdom of the wise, of the truly wise, of the despised wise is not heard. Solomon goes on to tell us in verse 17, the words of the wise are heard in tranquility. It's only in calm, it's only in quiet that a person can hear their own inner voice, their own inner wisdom, or the wisdom of those around them that they may interact with who are truly wise, who speak softly, whose message doesn't come with pomp and ceremony, doesn't come with grandiose vision, but is simple, iterative. It says, take one step forward, take stock of where you are, simplicity, that is despised. Who cares for something simple? It needs to be complex. However, says Solomon, the voice of the fool, of the of the ruler, of the of the person who's got status, who's got power, their voice is only heard with noise. Strip away the noise, and nobody cares at all, ever, what this person has to say, because there's no true meaning, no true value to what they stand for. It's only the noise, it's only the outer trappings. And so their voice is only heard with noise, with yelling and screaming. Solomon concludes the chapter, verse 18, by telling us, Wisdom is better than weapons, as we've seen. And Solomon tells us one final phrase for, verse ten, verse not, verse, for chapter 9. One sin can cause a person to lose much good. 
Because this inner voice, the concept of this inner voice, of the true voice of reason, of wisdom, of quiet wisdom, whether it's in our own hearts or it's on the lips of the wise people that we're privileged to interact with in life, whether in flesh or whether we read their words, the wisdom of the wise, the quiet wisdom of the wise is lost by one sin because we lose touch with the quiet wisdom. With, we lose touch with our inner voice. We lose touch with the true essence of wisdom, with true strength, with true might, with true swiftness. We lose sight of that. We lose touch with it when we sin, when we get caught up in the outer trappings of desire, of jealousy, of anger. And so Solomon reminds us in these several verses, don't think that your greatest asset is always going to be your greatest asset. Your success, if you're honest, often came by mistake. It often came when you set aside your strength and your talent and your asset and you just let things develop. That's where your greatest strength sometimes has come about. So make sure that your life has pockets of silence where you can hear the true voice of reason, the true voice of wisdom.